This is the Dear Ruby Column, a new kind of personal finance podcast where your money questions are the star of the show. Welcome to the first episode of the Dear Ruby podcast. And like I said, your questions on this podcast, questions about money, are the star of the show. I am your host, Rubina Ahmed Huck. I'm a personal finance journalist, and I'm joined by my brilliant co-host, Bo Humphreys, who's going to tell you a little bit about what he does and why he deserves to be my co-host. Oh, that's a lot of pressure. Well, I'm Bo Humphreys, and uh, I host uh, another podcast called The Personal Finance Show, where I tell personal finance stories. I have a website called investwisely.ca where I write about personal finance. And you're also a personal finance coach. I help individuals who need uh, help. It's like accountability, right? Everybody needs a little bit of a a push sometimes. Like, I want to do this, but oh, it's been six months since I've actually looked at my stuff. And I'm like, hey, maybe you should look at that stuff. I that's, think a, accountability I coach in general is is a growing um, a career option for so many people because people need that. Where we live, yeah. we live busy lives, whether it's to lose weight or live healthier or save money, having somebody that's reminding you that you made these goals for yourself and right. uh, keeping you on track is really important. I mean, personal trainers have been around for a long time, yeah. and that's that's one that's a physical one. And they're very effective. I don't know. I've never used a personal trainer, but. Maybe you haven't. Have you ever done that? In I used a personal trainer right before I got married and they were very effective. Right. And so the personal finance coach or other kinds of coaches are very, uh, very similar to that. So. Yep. Yep. He called me out because he saw on social media I was eating chocolate cake. I was in a big trouble <laughs> the next day. <laughs> that's right. He that's said right. he was disappointed in my behavior. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's big time, right? Okay, okay. So we're fielding questions from all our listeners, and we've got quite a few people that have recorded in uh, their personal finance questions. And the first gentleman is a 22-year-old student from Carleton University in our nation's capital, Ottawa. And we got an interesting question from him that I think a lot of young people struggle with. And let's so let's play his question and then we're going to talk about it. Dear Ruby, my name is Yifang Kuang. I am 22 years old and I am a second year student at Carleton University in the city of Ottawa. I have a few questions for you that I hope you don't mind answering. So the first one is, is it a good idea to get a bank loan for additional capital to finance my education? So Yifeng has two questions, like he mentioned. So that's the first one, asking whether he should get a bank loan or take out student debt in order to finish his education. Now, he's two years into his program, um, so he would need money. He doesn't have any more to finish his degree. This is a pretty typical problem a lot of young people have. How do I manage my student debt? How do you pay for things otherwise? You could just work a lot, but who wants to work all the time during school? Those are really the only other, otherwise you might get money from parents and you don't have to worry about debt, but he seems to be in a situation where he does need, or he's considering alone, we maybe need more information. Yeah, we definitely need more information. And I'm really uh, interested in knowing how did he get to year two university without having any debt whatsoever? This is a pretty unique situation. He himself admitted that his tuition is $10,000 a year. He is living at home, but that's still a massive bill for tuition. Um, and on top of that, books, transportation, everything else that comes with being a university student. Let's hear a little bit more about Yifang's story and how he got to this point without getting into any debt whatsoever. 
there are two things that happened, and I'm very grateful for、uh, both of these things happening in my life. The first is the Canadian Scholarship Trust Plan, which my parents registered for when I was still,、um, you know, probably a toddler, six, seven years old. And it's an RESP, a Registered Education Savings Plan, that they've been putting money into,、uh, you know, since then. And the money, it pulls in money with other families. Well, that's the plan we 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 got, and it compounds over time. So right now, I get. Every year, I get a a grant that helps me pay my、uh, education. The second thing is Seja.、Um, it's a it's a pre university institute, but since in Quebec we don't have a twelfth grade, it's also your kind of your twelfth grade. So Seja stands for Collège d'enseignement général et professionnel, and in English the equivalent would be General and Vocational College. Growing up and being a resident of Quebec, the domestic Tuition fee for Sejep is roughly a hundred dollars. Nothing in comparison to、uh, you know universities. It, it's it's absolutely nothing. And some of my、uh, credits transferred, so I don't have as much of a workload as some of the other students who came straight from high school. So Yifeng was really lucky because he had smart parents、yeah. who started saving for him at a very young age. So he had money in the bank before he went to university, and he lived. In a part of the country where, like he mentioned, you can get university level education in the public school system with Sejap、uh, for a hundred dollars is what he mentioned.、Yeah, who knew we just had to move to Quebec to get like yeah, like pre university pre university for a discount. <laughs> yeah, and that means that he is able to hit the ground running, especially when it comes to his debt situation,、uh, because he's got. A lower workload. He's already got some courses in the bag, and、um, but now he needs to finish university. What do you think he should do? What's his, what's his option here? He either takes out a loan so that he can finish school because I I suppose this RESP that he has is running out. Is that is that the idea? Yeah, and he did tell me that he would need to take a loan of twenty thousand dollars in order to finish finish his university on time without taking a break. Yeah. Okay. So whatever he's doing on the side for work, probably not even doing anything, and then the RESP is running out. And even though he pays a little bit less、uh, because of SAGEP,、uh, it's still ten grand a year for him. How else is he going to pay for school? He should get the loan. And、uh, he seems to be in a popular program that's going to get him a job. It's not like he's no. And I, he, I think he's pretty. He's pretty confident that he's going to land. He said to me, he thinks he can make fifty, sixty thousand dollars out of the gate. Yeah. So I think because in university there is a lot of time. Uh, during the summer, and it's not like you have in in high school where you're at you know in class from nine to three.、Mm-hmm. I understand that university workload is a lot, and you have to come home and study. You can't spend all that time just doing whatever you want.、Uh, but I would recommend he not go into debt and continue to have、um, to, to go to university and maybe just take a year or two longer to finish, and then that way. Um, he's going to graduate with no debt. Average debt right now, according to Statistics Canada, for、uh, young people is twenty six thousand dollars a year. He hits the ground running, even though he's one year later, and he can still use the summers to find internships and make money with the skills that he's already got. And he's twenty two, right? So he he's still young. He still has time for this. That I mean, that does sound ideal. It, will he be able to make the ten k or whatever he needs? Like. Or how many years is he going to be in school? 
Well, you think that he should take the the, the, the debt and and graduate within two years? Is like just fast track it, make, make it happen as fast as possible? As much as I hate debt, <laughs> I, I do. This is this is what I mean. I didn't even like using this term, but it's good debt. Uh, as opposed to going and buying a bunch of big screen TVs in your credit card, not only would he actually probably get a lower rate because people love to lend money to students, yeah, he would probably get a job. I mean, there's no guarantees, right? It, it's tough. It's a tough call because you know I had debt, and but I had a whole other gambling addiction to deal with. But I did have school debt, and and I was able to pay it off, and it took some time. I think it's about how comfortable you might be with debt and how confident you are with being able to repay. Can we talk just a second about this fund that his parents put his RESP money into? Yeah, that was weird. He he used a, like a brand name or something, Canadian Scholarship. Yeah, so th- these are programs that are set up. They pool um, money together from all different families. Uh, they basically do the work for you. So they invest the money for you. Uh, they get the RESP uh, Canada Student Grant is that what it's called? The Canada Education Savings Grant, that, I think. Canada Education Savings Grant. Thank you very much. Uh, so that's $500 a year max, uh, 20%. So they just like apply for on your behalf or on something? On your yeah. behalf. Okay, now, sure. I'm looking at the company that he used. They're advertising right on off the top that their fees are as low as 1.5%. As low as. As low as 1.5%, <laughs> which can be a massive amount of money taken out of your total return on investment because every year they're charging you that and it's only it's the minimum is 1.5 percent my recommendation is is that people invest their kids resp money into low-cost etfs that follow the performance of an index and then when their child is 10 11 12 years old so about six or seven years away from when they would need that money they start to move some of that money into a high interest savings account within the resp so any money that it's still making in the resp it's still not having any tax implications rather than using these companies they call themselves flexible they are not flexible and they charge high fees yeah because basically an resp is very very similar to an RRSP in that you basically just invest in something and then you tell the government, hey, this is part of that plan. And then you do the extra work to get the savings grant. You don't have to do any extra work because once you have the RESP set up, when you make a contribution into that RESP, they automatically know that you have done that and they give you in six weeks, 20% of that up into a maximum of $500 a year. So if you put in the whole $2,500 on January 1st, yeah. Within, you know, mid-February, end of February, you'll get that $500 and then you can invest it. So what I do is I try to put in both my kids $2,500 at the beginning of January. Right. I get the money at the end of February. And then because I have a family RESP, which is mm. what I recommend yeah, even you Yeah, because either do, kid can use it, right? Either kid can use yeah, it. Okay. And I opened a single RESP. There was no cost to move it over, but it was just paperwork. That sure. I didn't. I didn't have. I wouldn't have had to do if I just opened a family RESP. Then I buy the investment after that grant money has come in. Because it's it's five hundred dollars maximum. It's twenty percent of what you put in. So you're not always going to put in twenty five hundred a year. So you can put in two thousand or one thousand, um, but the maximum grant in total you'll get is seventy two hundred. So once you've maxed that out, you're not going to get any more money. But you sh- you know you might want to still keep contributing. But you can still keep contributing and the money will continue to grow tax-free. That's right. And that's yeah. the whole point of this. But you don't have to do it through one of these. I, I mean, I see the appeal of these companies. that they, They're taking care of it all for you. 
You don't have to worry about anything. It's kind of like mutual including fund companies. Growth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and they lay out a very sort of easy to understand plan. Um, they're in the hospitals. Like I got advertising for wow. like I, I got an ad for a, a certain uh, children's fund, education fund that I should be a part of when I had my son, I believe, in the package that I took home. I thought that was pretty aggressive uh, that yeah. they would put that at, uh, you know, in a in a package for a new mom or new dad that are so vulnerable at that time as it is. There's so many decisions you have to make about the baby and then they're bombarding you with ads. I mean, I've had people tell me that they're very happy with these companies, but my feeling is is that if they had done it on their own, they'd have more money. In the, Maybe Yifang's family would have had enough money yeah. to pay for his entire education. We wouldn't even have to do this episode. Oh, I'm glad, <laughs> Yifang, you still had a problem for us to solve for you <laughs> but uh yeah so i, I you know in, in, he might have been in a situation where his parents would have better return on their money and that would have just meant more money for him to use for his education like you said that if as long as you're aware is and this is going to be a theme of what we're talking about all the time is as long as you know what's happening and you've accepted that the you know, 1.5 minimum percent is worth the service that you're getting then fine but I just want to make sure people know that they can do it themselves. As, as you said, they can invest themselves. Yeah. And I've been a big advocate of that, not just for the RESP, for our RSPs, for all, of for, for all of the above. I mean, we've talked about this, how a financial planner is probably the best bet to get you on the right track. But you don't always have to use a financial advisor. No, because advisors, I don't want to put them all in a category, but a lot of advisors, especially the ones in banks, are there to sell you products. Yeah, they are there to there it's a business and they're there to run their business and make money off of Meanwhile, it. Meanwhile, the planner uh, is usually not associated with specific products and can help you objectively and can be worth the money depending on what stage of life you're at. That's a whole different conversation. You know, I would it? compare like I would say a financial planner is like someone who comes into your house and helps you organize your home so you sure. pay them a fee yeah. and they come into your home and they say, "Okay, if you put this wardrobe over here and move this chair over here, you're going to have better flow." And then they leave your house and you just write them a check for whatever their fee was. A financial advisor is like going to IKEA and asking the person saying, "Yeah, which one is best?" Exactly. <laughs> they're there to sell you stuff, and they're going to tell you all of it's good, and you need all of it. Yeah, so of it's course. a completely different uh, dynamic when you are going into a place of business to buy a product to help you organize your life, as opposed to somebody coming into your life and helping you organize your current situation. That's a really good distinction between the two. Thank you. I just came up with that off the top of my head. And the people at IKEA are really good at it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they're really good. I I don't leave IKEA. IKEA and Costco, two stores I cannot leave without spending at least $100. Oh, man. So Yifang had two questions, and I'm really excited to hear the second question. Uh, and Bo, you are the perfect person what? To answer oh. this question. So let's play it and I'm going to get you to answer it first. And my second question is, do you think services such as Uber and Airbnb are a viable option for students for additional income? Well, first thing is uh, I drive Uber, which is the, why I'm appropriate for this. Uh, You're this. the perfect person. <laughs> you should tell Yifeng exactly what it is to be an Uber driver and what he should expect if he decides to take this on. Yeah, so I, I started Uber. Uh, I've done over 200 trips now. 
at, at, as of this recording, uh, I mean, it'll be a lot like more. Do you get like a medal or something? Or like I, a, a, a widget? Or <laughs> I'm a little too proud of my 100 five-star rating um, oh. little medal that I get in the thing. I, I was just making fun. I didn't think no, that was No, uh, you only get it for, not for trips. Well, maybe you do. Actually, I think you do it eventually, but for more trips than a couple hundred. Like, I'm still really an Uber baby, Uber driver baby, compared to some of these other uh, uh, people who have thousands. Uber is... Now, we, uh, we have the benefit of uh, having spoken to him a little more, and I know that he has his own car, and so and he's using it for other things. And to me, that's the first criteria for Uber being worth it, because you'll hear a lot of people saying, oh, Uber, you can't do Uber full-time, because uh, it never, it's never going to cover the cost of your car payment insurance. And that's correct. It's not supposed to be for that. It's supposed to be you're already paying for that stuff, and Uber is to... Get supplement. You, yeah, it yeah. really is a supplement. I think people need to really refrain from uh, that. And uh, so as a supplement, yes, I would say absolutely do it. I average about $16, $17 an hour net. And that's net of the HST that they pay us. It's a mandatory thing. You have to register for HST. That's, I guess, another uh, thing to talk about for Uber. And net of the gas. Because uh, really... To me, gas and maybe a little bit of wear and tear in the car, if you have a, a newer car, is the only direct cost of adding the Uber on. I think, and yeah, you can do, I don't know, a couple hours. The, the real benefit of Uber is you don't have to sign on for a shift. And that is one of the reasons why it's perfect for me. You know, we're recording podcasts in the middle of the day. If I had a part-time job shift to work right now, I'd be like, oh, sorry, can't do it doing the part-time job shift. My days are all different. So to be able to wake up in the morning and do Uber if I want, if it's snowing, I don't have to do it. What other jobs are like that? So that's my, I've, I believe that it's worth it and, and you may enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, don't do it. So I, um, I don't think he should do it. Really? And I, there's a number of reasons why I think that. Uh, first of all, I know that you had to take on different insurance as soon as you became an Uber driver, from what I remember. Okay, well, let me clarify that. And uh, was it higher, the cost? It was just a little bit higher because I was getting a discount. for it. Now, this is personal insurance, right? So it was my personal, insur- personal auto and home insurance company didn't like the fact that I was driving for Uber. Uber uh, driving is covered by a whole separate commercial policy that Uber pays for. So you don't have to take out commercial Uber insurance specifically, but you have to make sure, and this is actually really important, and I didn't realize that your personal auto insurance company uh, has changed their underwriting rules to be okay with this. And of course, the best one to go with is the one who makes the commercial policy. I won't mention them now Mm because this would be an ad for for that company. But so I did that, and it's just a little bit more because I wasn't getting my discounts. And, And I also just wanted to make sure I was protected fully so but it wasn't that much of a difference but I, I hear you you have to make some arrangements yeah and he's also under 25 years old and he's oh a male, there's that right? okay so that, that changes everything that changes everything so i, I think Whoa. his insurance will be I, i'm i'm assuming i know i shouldn't assume anything in money but he should check out how much insurance is going to go up when he becomes an uber driver he should be prepared uh to uh, deal with the fact that 
he puts himself on the road more often. He's yeah. more likely to get into a car accident. Even a fender bender could be thousands of dollars. Um, he could have to also incur extra cleaning costs and maintenance costs of the inside of his vehicle because often when you're driving Uber, as you know, it's late at night. You're dealing with people who may have had too much to drink or all that kind of stuff that can lead to a very dirty, disgusting car that then costs you money to, to clean. Um, and more oil changes, you know, just general more maintenance. Obviously, gas gas costs go up as well too um he seems like the kind of person that's very very careful in the way that he uh way that he manages yeah money. he does yeah but uh i think this would be a, a in my opinion a very irresponsible thing for him to do at this stage just because of his age yeah that's a, that's a really good point and and also not everybody likes to get up at five in the morning and drive before the world gets up like i do uh, where you don't get the vomit in the car, I feel like he would probably be doing more late nights. And yeah, that's not something that I would actually want to do. Ottawa is a two university town. It really and is. It really, <laughs> you are dealing with a lot of um, late night partiers and people who are going to be using Uber to get home safely, which is great. That's what Uber is there for. Uh, but you have to be willing to deal with all of that and the consequences of how much it costs uh, to maintain your car having those type of clients. That's a good point. I guess the the overall point is do a, a little bit of an analysis when you're when you're looking to do something. You know, don't just jump in, and uh, it may or may not be good for you. It fit right into my my life. I enjoy it. I think that's the key. Anything you do, you should enjoy it. What what about Airbnb? Do you have any thoughts so, on that? One? I think Airbnb. I mean, he's living with his parents right now, so he'd have to obviously have that conversation with his parents. I'm a big fan of Airbnb, but again. With this, uh, with Yifang being so young and not having his own property, I really don't think it's wise for him. What is he going to Airbnb his bedroom? Yeah. The I mean, where is he Airbnb? <laughs> the couch. At the same time, say he was to buy a condo and say, okay, I'm going to Airbnb one of the rooms and have a two-bedroom condo when I, I live in the room. He's still opening himself up to a, a lot of insecurity. And if you are airbnb any part of your house or any any property whatsoever, um, you should have enough capital that you could cover costs when they come up. So he needs to make sure that he's got extra money on the side to pay for broken furniture. Maybe someone made a big mess and another customer's coming in. He's got to get it all cleaned up. There's all these extra things that he needs to think about that cost money. Yeah, I, I, I agree with a lot of that. I mean, I am the fan, I'm a fan of the gig economy, obviously. So I would say at least look into it and see what the what the deal is. And the good thing about these things is you don't have to do them all the time. You don't ha you're not committed to anything. So you try it out, somebody trashes your couch and you're like, okay, no more Airbnb for me, right? I'm I just a fan of trying things and seeing if they work. So but yeah, it's his parents' place, like who's <laughs> gonna get the money? So let's do a final word on both of the both of the questions that you fang asked. Do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? You go first. Okay, so when it comes to his tuition, I think he should spend an extra year or so and work part-time and graduate with no debt because he will hit the ground running. He can start saving for retirement as soon as he graduates and he's 22 years old. He's got his whole life ahead of him to work and he can still get experience in the summer and the months that he is uh, not in university um, in his field and start to build those contacts now uh, for that great paying job at the end of his degree. So he could get the 20 grand or whatever he needs. And then he gets a job 
I mean, a lot of this is conjecture. A lot of this is, is just uh, hoping, you know, he could come out into a 2008-2009 financial crisis and not get a job for a year. But he's still living at home. And if he was able to get a job paying 50, 60 grand a year, still living at home, I, f- I really feel like he could just take care of that right away. And then now he has a couple extra years of like full saving and live at home as, as much as possible. I like your option of no debt. I really do. It's really hard for me to, to not want to do that. But I feel like if things work out for him, it could be pretty good. And when it comes to Airbnb and Uber and just generally being part of the gig economy, it sounds like Yifeng is now in a vulnerable position where he needs to finish university. He's looking at taking on debt in order to make that happen. Uh, Don't create more insecurity by becoming an Uber driver, by Airbnb part of your home, because there are so many things that can go wrong that will cost you money. When you have your own home and you're working full time and you have the ability uh, to financially deal with all the problems that might come with being a member of the gig economy, then I think you can go in full force. But until then, as a student, to participate in the gig economy seems foolish to me. Yeah, it it might be a bit much for him, but I I still say he could give it a try. Startup costs aside, it might be something that he really likes to do. It really depends on where you live as well. It could work out, so I I don't want him to discount it completely. But I hear what you're saying about responsibility. Uh, you know, it may be a bit much for him. Focus on the school. So should he drive it or should he not drive? I, I think he should give it a try because I, I, I don't know. Like it's, it's not until he tries it, I don't want to tell him uh, not to. So I, I say uh, check it out. That is the end of our very first Dear Ruby podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got value out of the questions that we got from Yi Fang and the answers that we were able to provide you. Uh, Bo, what do you think about our very first episode? How are you feeling about it? Well, I, I like that there was an Uber question that specifically affected me. And, and I'm, you know, both, of, uh, both you and I have been through uh, student debt in school. And so we know what that's uh, that's like. And I I just think that uh, I think it's really great that he was just able to give so much information and, and be very open. And that's what we would like, I think, from everybody. So if you have a question for Dear Ruby, grab your smartphone, record your questions, starting with Dear Ruby, just like the Dear Abby column of the past where people would write in their relationship problems and Dear Abby would try to solve them. We want to solve your personal finance and money questions. So grab your smartphone, record a question to Dear Ruby, send it to us using our website, www.dearruby with an I.com, D-E-A-R-R-U-B-I.com. And hopefully we'll have you on the show. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, everybody.